For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men, likewise, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to the debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetedness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is the word of God. Well, before I pray, let me just say that this is a very big topic, and uh, I obviously can't cover everything in 30, 40 minutes. So I really do want to say that if you have questions or queries or if you disagree with me, um, please feel free this week to, to contact me or one of our senior staff, uh, Kate or Bronwyn or Eddie or David or Royden, uh, we'd be more than more than happy to, to talk to you and to uh, deal with any, any queries or questions or, or confusion that you may have. Um, so please feel free to contact us during this week. Let me also say that uh, this is probably the most controversial issue in our culture at the present time. And... Um, so I am going to pray that I don't muck it up, um, which will be a good thing. Um, let me just say that I'm not here trying to make a public statement or a political statement. Um, no, I'm speaking to you as your pastor. And uh, as your pastor, as the shepherd of God's people, or under-shepherd, Christ is the chief shepherd, of course, I have a duty and uh, and a great privilege to look after the souls of God's people. And uh, that's a great privilege, and uh, I love doing that. But if I love you, then I also need to tell you the truth. So that's what I'll be doing this morning. I'm speaking to you as your pastor, as, as, uh, as an under-shepherd of this church, so that we together can understand what God is saying. Let me also just say that, that, for, that for many people here this morning or listening on the website or the YouTube, um, evidently the sermons go on the YouTube. I've actually never watched myself. I think that's frightening. Um, 
but if you're listening on the on the YouTube, um, for some people here, it's more of a kind of an academic topic. But for but for many people, it's a very personal issue because it touches real people with real desires and real pain and real emotions. And no doubt there are people here this morning uh, or listening on the website who, who are struggling with same-sex attraction. Uh, there may be some, uh, no doubt, who may be involved in a gay relationship. Um, I know there are parents who have told me their children have come out and they are struggling on how to deal with that and how to respond as a Christian. And for, and for all younger parents here, um, your child, one of your children, may well one day come out. And it will be critical how you respond to that event within, within your family and within your life. So it's a personal issue, and I, as your pastor and shepherd, uh, want to deal with it pastorally and uh, help us together as God's people to understand what God is saying. Well, let's pray, and let's pray that I don't muck it up. So let's pray. Father, we come to this topic, which is, uh, which is a personal issue, Lord, because we're talking about sex, we're talking about ourselves, we're talking about emotions, we're talking about people we know and people we love. And uh, so we do pray that uh, you may help us and you may help me, as Paul commands us, to speak the truth in love. And we pray, Lord, that for all of us, that may always be our balance, that we speak the truth, but we do so in love. And we pray this for Christ's sake. Amen. Before I give you our structure, let me just quickly give credit to some people and also sources or resources that you may be able to use if you want to do some research and some reading and some thinking on this, this, this uh, particular topic. Of course, there are many people, there are many resources. Uh, I've used many of them, but let me mention just a couple that have been especially helpful to me. The one is Nancy Piercy, and uh, she wrote a book called Total Truth, but uh, this book really is quite profound, and um, it, is, it is just absolutely brilliant. It's called Love Thy Body, and uh, she's done unbelievable research. And uh, she's a wonderful uh, author and Christian writer. So do have a look out for Nancy Piercy, and especially this book, Love Thy Body. The other person who has been a great help to, help to me, and we'll be looking at some uh, YouTube clips of her this morning, is Jackie Hill Perry, who wrote a book called Gay Girl, Good God. And uh, it's a, once again, it's a brilliant book. She's a rapper uh, from the USA. And uh, she used to be lesbian. Uh, she's no longer lesbian. Uh, she's a Christian. And uh, she writes quite profoundly. You can pick her up on YouTube. There's a lot of YouTube uh, um, uh, podcasts uh, by Jackie Hill Perry. And I really would encourage you to look for her writings and for her YouTubes. Other people have been Ed Shaw, Vaughan Roberts. Another person is Sam Albury. You can also pick him up on YouTube. Um, and he's also the, the founder of a website called livingout.org. Uh, he's a pastor. He has same-sex attraction, and he's chosen to live a celibate life. And so the website is for people like him who have same-sex attraction but want to live godly celibate lives. 
and uh, it's a it's a wonderful website, livingout.org, and I'm sure that can be a great help to you. All right, let me give you the structure of what we're looking at this morning. We may go a little bit over time because of the topic that we're dealing with. The structure, three points again. Um, number one, where am I coming from? Number two, what does the Bible say about LGBT? Um, let me just say that LGBTQI, LB, uh, stands for lesbian, uh, bisexual, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. Q stands for queer or for questioning, and I stands for intersex. Uh, but just to, um, just to be brief, I'll be using the term LGBT. What does the Bible say about LGBT? And thirdly, what worldview does LGBT come from? So those are the three main points. So let's dig in straight away. Where am I coming from? couple of points. Number one, I am a male. In fact, if you haven't noticed, I'm a old white male. I'm heterosexual. Uh, I was a virgin until I got married at the age of 32 to uh, Jean. We've been happily married for 31, coming up for 32 years. And uh, at least I've been happily married. Uh, <laughs> Jean, Jean is a saint. You need to know I have never experienced same-sex attraction. I have experienced heterosexual temptation, but thankfully I have never acted upon it. Number two, I believe in God. I believe in the God of the Bible, that he's a creator God, he's a sovereign God, he's a personal God. And And that if God created me and you, then that means that my life has meaning, that my life has purpose, and that God has a template, God has a plan for our lives. So I do not agree with, uh, with Darwin, who says there's no God, there's no purpose, there's no moral significance, that, that the body is just a piece of matter, uh, that uh, the body has no dignity or meaning or inherent identity in and of itself. No, I believe that God has created me and that human beings like you and me, male and female, are made in the image of God. And therefore, we will find our greatest purpose, our greatest meaning, our greatest joy when we fit in with God's design for us. Number three, the creator personal God is a speaking God. And that speaking God is spoken through his son and he's spoken through his word. So the Bible is God's word written. If the Bible is authored by God, it means that it is true. It is true truth. It's truth with a capital T. Which means that the universe must be governed, if God is the creator, if God has spoken through his word, the universe will be governed by God and his word. It means that the universe will be governed by absolutes, because it's created by God. I do not agree with Nietzsche, who has had the most profound influence on our culture. He's probably the father of our postmodern culture that we live in. Nietzsche said, everything evolved. There are no eternal facts as there are no absolute truths. So for Nietzsche, the truth is a social construct. Each person, each culture, each group can determine their own truth. I do not believe that. Number four, the Bible states categorically on almost every page of the Bible that God loves sinners like you and me, including all of those stated here in Romans chapter 1. So have a look there at Romans chapter 1. 
He talks, verse 29, of those who are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, and LGBTQI, verse 26 and 27. That's all of us. I mean, we're all here. Did you know your name was included in the Bible? There it is. Without exception, every single one of us in this room is mentioned in that chapter. And yet God loved us so much, even though we didn't want him and sometimes still don't want him, he loved us so much that he died for us. He sent his son to die for us and to rescue us. So the scandal of the Christian faith is that Jesus didn't come to, to reward people who are good. <laughs> Jesus came for the people here in chapter 1. He came to forgive people who are bad. That's the scandal of the Christian faith. And if you've never heard that, that's the heart of the gospel. Jesus came not to reward the good people or the self-righteous people or the church people. No, he came to forgive the bad people. And that same God who loves us calls on all of us, all of us, to understand that God is enough, that Jesus is enough, nothing more and nothing less. So we're talking here about LGBT, but actually that principle applies to, to all of us. God is enough. I mean, we all have issues, don't we? All of us. Two, three, four, eight, ten. Royden, probably fifteen. <laughs> I mean, we all have issues. We all have struggles. We're all dysfunctional, distorted in one way or the other. And yet, what the Bible is saying is that God is enough. Jesus is enough. Number five, Romans chapter one. Verse 26, homosexuality and particularly the practice of homosexuality, LGBT, is a sin. The Bible is very clear about that. And like every other sin, unless we repent, we will face God's judgment and God's wrath. Sadly, I think we Christians have sometimes operated by a double standard. Sometimes we've treated LGBT as if it's the most or more sinful than any other transgression. If that is your attitude, you actually need to, to repent. Your sin, my sins, are all a rebellion against God. In fact, we need to remind ourselves, even as Christians that we are equally broken, we are equally fallen, and we have as much capacity for sin as anybody else. LGBT is not the greatest sin in this room. In fact, the greatest sin in this room could be the pride, or your pride, that you're not LGBT. That is probably the greatest sin in this room. Martin, I'm so pleased that you're telling these people to repent. Give them fire and brimstone. Give them hell. 
Well, my dear friend, if that's what you're thinking, you may be further from God than you can imagine. The unforgivable sin is not LGBT. No, the unforgivable sin is unbelief. A, a rejection of living under God's authority, God's word. A rejection of Jesus as king, who has the right to expect worship and love and obedience. And pride is a second cousin of unbelief. Number six, last point. What we're talking about here is a serious issue. It is an issue of life and death. For me as your pastor, it's not serious because it's the most, it's the most controversial issue in our culture. No, it's the most serious because as your pastor, I know there are people in this church who have same-sex attraction. I know, no doubt, there are people in this church who are living homosexual gay lives. I know that there are people with confused sexuality. I know that some of the parents have been told by their kids, I am gay. I know that some of you will be told by your kids, I am gay. And if you don't answer in a biblical way, they may hate you. So it is serious, this. Serious for you. It's serious for me. I'm going to read to you from Jackie Hill Perry, and then we'll have a listen to a short clip from Jackie Hill. She wrote a letter which is called Love Letter to a Lesbian. And uh, we're going to listen to her in just a moment. We'll have one or two clips of her. But I want you to understand who she is before we see the, uh, the video clip. She writes in this letter called Love Letter to a Lesbian. She says, Dear sister, I just want you to know that I understand. I understand how it feels to be in love with a woman to want nothing more than to be with her forever, feeling as if the universe has played a cruel joke on your heart by allowing it to fall into the hands of a creature that looks just like you. I too was a lesbian. I had same-sex attractions as early as five years old. As I grew up, those feelings never subsided. subsided. They only grew. I would find myself having crushes on my female best friends, but I was far too ashamed to admit to them, let alone to myself. At the age of 17, I finally made the, the, the decision to pursue these desires. I entered into a relationship with a young lady who became my first. The first time we kissed, it felt extremely natural, as if this feeling is what I had been missing all, all along. After her came another woman. And then another woman. Both relationships were very serious, each lasting over a year. I enjoyed these relationships and loved these women, these, women, these women a lot. And it came to the point that I was willing to forsake all, including my soul, to enjoy their love on earth. That's Jack, Jackie Hill Perry. Let's play the clip and listen to what she has to say. But I would say to someone, um, a young lady or older woman or male, anybody struggling with like same sex attraction, um, specifically in Christ, even um, it's it's natural for us to have affections for things that God isn't pleased with. Um, and I don't say natural in like a affirming that it's OK way, but that, yeah. 
you're going to see that in you possibly. But I think, I think the church in some instances has made it same. one. We like kind of like separated homosexuality and just like, this is your only issue when really your issue is your heart and dealing with that. Because if God was to just completely save you from homosexuality, but not give you the power to walk by the spirit and everything, you'll still be a liar. You'll still be a masturbator, probably <laughs> porn addict, probably bitter, probably, you know what I'm saying? So even just seeing like we are holistically in need of God in every area, not just homosexuality. Um, and so recognizing that and also knowing and seeing that God has never come. I don't know in scripture. I could be wrong, but I haven't seen where God has promised to remove our temptations. But I do see an, a massive amount of evidence that God has promised to give us the power to flee them um, and not give in to them. And I think seeing God as beautiful and as worthy will give us some motivation to do that either. By his grace, of course, he has to change our hearts and give us the will <laughs> to want to do that. But seeing that like, okay, if you are tempted as a Christian, if you are, if you are a believer, have repented of your sins, God has filled you with your spirit, with, with his spirit and you see fruit in your life, yet you are still dealing with these temptations. Don't, what the enemy or the devil will do or people will do is because you're tempted, you'll automatically think I must still be gay because I feel this way. It's like, no, you're human. <laughs> this is what it is. But you are a child of God and God is gracious and has given you the power to not walk in that anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like you have to remember that God is worthy. He really is good. He really is beautiful because even I, I can testify and people I've had conversations with, even when they were fulfilling the lust of the flesh and walking in homosexuality, they never had peace. They never had joy. So it's like, don't give in to the lie that that will make you happy because it didn't before. <laughs> so it's like recognizing that you're a child of the child of God. God has given you power. You are in him. Believe him to give you freedom link up with people to walk with you. It is no way you could possibly win this war by yourself. We were not set up to be alone um, or be isolated, um, especially when dealing with sin, like get with people that are stronger than you, that will walk with you, women that will show you even what it is to be a woman. Cause I need to learn that personally. Why, what is biblical womanhood? I've been raised to think that aggression means goodness. Like meekness is weakness when God is saying, no, that's beautiful to me. So like even just, I just feel like I'm talking a lot, but yeah, like <laughs> getting around people that will help you walk and consistently reminding yourself about who God is and who you are in him. And I think people will experience so much freedom when they like their identity is rooted in what the scripture says they are versus how they feel. Um, yeah. Isn't she great? We're going to have another clip of her just a little bit later. Second principle, number two. First is, where am I coming from? Number two, what does the Bible say about LGBT? Now, there are two things that we need to, need to avoid. The one is homophobia. That's the first one. The second, the second one is that thinking that God is indifferent about how we use sex. 
So those are two opposite dangers that we need to avoid. Well, the first thing is that God is not indifferent about sex. So the Bible tells us quite clearly, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, that God created us. God created us male and female. God created sex. God said that sex is good. In actual fact, God said it is very good. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, which Jesus uh, repeats, in fact, Jesus um, uh, quotes from Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 in Matthew 19. He says, in the beginning, God made them male and female. And then he quotes from Genesis 2, 24, where he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. So what is Jesus teaching? What is Genesis teaching? The created order is that there is one man, there is one female, and there is one flesh. The Bible teaches that every other form of sex is sin. Sex is for marriage. Marriage is one man, one woman. And every other form of sex is sin. That may be sex before marriage. That may be adultery. That may be homosexuality. That may be incest. That may be bestiality, that may be prostitution, that may be rape. All of those are sin. They are all equally sin because they fall outside God's design for men and women and for sex. Coming to homosexuality, there's not a single verse in the Bible that is positive about homosexuality. Let me quote you a couple of verses. We'll spend a little bit of time here in Romans 1 just to give you some idea. Genesis 9, you have the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, and that sin is homosexuality. Leviticus 18, verse 22 says, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. 1 Corinthians 6. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Let me just say that, that these passages I'm quoting to you, there are people who will say that they are not teaching what they're saying, and they will try to explain away what is the plain meaning of the text. I'm not able to go into all of that this morning for obvious reasons, but you need to know they are wrong. The plain meaning of the text is plain. The issue for them actually is not the clarity of the Bible. The issue is actually the authority of the Bible. Is the Bible God's word? And do I need to submit to God's word? The Bible itself is clear. There is not one positive word in the Bible concerning sex outside of marriage or homosexual sex. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 9 there, there are two Greek words used for, um, used for uh, men who practice homosexuality. The one word has to do more with a passive past partner, and the other has to do with a more active part partner. 
But it's quite clear from this passage, as it is from many others, that homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of God. Of course, it's not only homosexuals, it's all the rest of us, but it is clear that homosexuals, practicing homosexuals, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Romans chapter 1, our passage that was read to us by Joan. Have a look at verse 26 and 27 once again. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the woman exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. What is he saying? Two important truths. One is homosexual desire is not what God originally intended. It's contrary to nature. He's not talking about someone's personal nature. No, he's talking about the created order. He's talking about nature that God created, God's design. Now, that's not to say that homosexual desires is the only thing that God did not originally intend. All our desires have been distorted by sin. But Paul does say here quite clearly, lesbian, homosexual behavior is unnatural. And as we reject God, we find ourselves craving what we were not designed to crave. And that's true for both homosexual and heterosexual people. The second thing just to notice here is that our, our distorted Desires, both homosexuality and all the others on this list, are a sign that we've turned away from God. It's not that homosexuals are more god godless than than anybody else, but when you put them all to all together, what the scriptures are saying is here is a sign of people who have turned after their own way, who have become their own god who are making up their own rules. And here are the signs of a people who have rejected God as their king, as their authority. The argument that is often made, talking here about natural acts and unnatural acts, the argument is often made that some people are born gay. Now, I've done a great deal of research. I'm sure many of you have as well. But from my research, there is no medical evidence that convinces me that there is a gay gene. There's just no such thing. However, that is not actually the big issue. As Jackie Hill Perry said, she started having these thoughts that she was a boy and that she loved other girls from the age of five. And we know other people who have had same-sex attraction from a very early age. Whether that's from nature or from nurture, Whether that's from the upbringing, we can't be sure. But what we do know is that actually we are all genetically flawed. That's the teaching of the Bible. We are born in sin. And our sins will be expressed in different ways. We are all distorted. We are all flawed. And so you will have some people who have a a greater propensity for, for lying for stealing, for alcohol or binge drinking, for, uh, for anger, for violence, for same-sex, 
Perhaps there's some people who are born with this inferiority complex. What is that? That is part of the fall. Our genes are distorted. We are broken. And just because something feels natural doesn't mean it's right. What do you do then if you have same-sex attraction? Well, I think there are two things. The one is that, like Sam Albury, Sam Albury is a pastor, he's a man, and he's a Christian, but he has same-sex attraction, and he has chosen to be celibate. And he sees it as a gift. Of course it has its frustrations. Of course it has its challenges. But so does marriage, by the way. If you married, there are challenges, there are frustrations. If you're not married, there are challenges, there are frustrations, there are joys in both. And we've almost forgotten as Christians that the Bible talks about celibacy as a gift. Because there are certain things, there are many things you can do if you are unmarried that you can't do when you're married. And of course, there are other things you can do when you're married which you can't do when you are unmarried. So there is the gift of celibacy and being used up for God. The other, the other option is that there have been many people who have, in Christ and by God's grace, have found their desires changing. It's not necessarily static. Just as Jackie Hill Perry said, just because I have a temptation for same-sex attraction doesn't necessarily mean that that's who I am. I'm human. And so there are many stories. And if you go on, on, onto that website, livingout.org, there are many stories of people where God has changed their desires. God has changed their hearts. And even some have got married. Now, three quick comments before we go to our last principle. Number one, if we are honest, for those of us who do not have same-sex attraction, there is the possibility for us to feel quite self-righteous. I'm all right, Martin. I'm never going to have sex with a man. But let me say to you, you are not all right. You see, all of us have rejected God. Do you know that none of us are straight? We're all sexually flawed. We're all sexually broken in one way or the other. Let me show you Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 verse 27. Your name's here, by the way. You didn't know that. It is. Matthew chapter 5, especially if you're a man. My name's here. Matthew 5, 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. So Jesus is quoting from the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So I told you earlier that I've never experienced same-sex attraction. But I have experienced heterosexual temptation before and after I got married. In fact, if I'm honest with you, According to Jesus, verse 28, I've committed adultery as a Christian, as a pastor. 
But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And Hebrews 13 verse 4 says, God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. There's me. He, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 says, Do not be deceived. Adulterers will not see the kingdom of God. You see, my dear friends, we're all in the same boat. We're all born sinners. We're all sexually broken in one way or the other. We all need rescue. We all need grace. We all need help. Second comment came out by Jackie Hill Perry. Temptation is not sin. Hebrews chapter 4, it says that Jesus was tempted in every possible way. Just because you are tempted by something doesn't mean you have sinned. There's a difference. Martin Luther said you can't stop the birds from flying over your head. That's temptation. But you can stop them from nesting in your hair. That's sin. So you may well have same-sex temptations. You may have heterosexual temptations, but that is not sin. Number three, our Christian culture says your identity is tied to your sexual desires and your sexual activity. So if you deny them, you are denying yourself. Now, my dear friends, that is a totally false view of human nature. Our culture has elevated sex to a goddess or god status. It is the ultimate god. But, my dear friends, that's not what the Bible teaches. God made sex. God made sex good. But it's not, it's not the be-all be, be and end-all of my identity. All of us are more. Of course we are more than our sexual desires. Think about it, friendship. So the Greek word eros is sexual love. But there's also friendship love, where two men or two women can love each other as friends and be committed to each other. There's no romantic or sexual angle to it, but there's a love and a commitment to each other. Isn't that a beautiful thing? The other aspects of our lives, you have someone who is committed to, to kindness, to hospitality. That's, that's the kind of person they are. There's someone who, who, is, who is committed to, to helping the poor, someone who is passionate about justice, someone who, who comes into the room and comes into your life and just changes everything. You, you know those people, just extraordinary people. They're not defined by one aspect they not reduced, their, their humanity isn't reduced just to one aspect of who they are. Let's listen again to Jackie Hill Perry before we get to our last point. Let's hit the lights. To a woman struggling with same-sex attraction, I think um, it's a struggle I understand. It's a struggle that um, I still struggle with. Um, being someone who lived a lesbian lifestyle and who the Lord saved out of it, but it didn't, that doesn't necessarily mean that my temptations were eradicated um, in the process. And so I think what I would say is that 
what you're feeling is not strange. Um, it doesn't make you some strange creature. It makes you a human being. I think part of being a human being means that we're born in sin. And in being born in sin, we have certain inclinations that are off, that are wrong, that are not natural to us in the sense of how God created us to be. And so every person on earth has feelings and affections for things that may not necessarily be righteous or holy. And so in that, we know okay, how you're feeling, that's normal. But we also know that you don't have to be discouraged by it because you have a God who has offered hope through his son, Jesus Christ. Um, in being in Christ, like in my temptations, I'm not hopeless. It's not as if I can see a woman who's beautiful and feel the, the desire to want to lust after her and I have no choice but to do it. It's like, no, in Christ, I have the Holy Spirit. So I really do have the power to flee. I really do have the power to turn. Um, and I think in being in Christ, we know that like in my turning, I'll find joy. It's not just obedience for the sake of obedience. It's obedience. Like Jesus says, like, if you love me, you will obey. It's not, if you love me, you will obey. It's if you love me, you will obey. It's like, I have an affection for God in my obedience. And so I think the encouragement is that man, like if God saved you, he's going to help you. Like you really do have a great high priest who prays for you and who sympathizes with you and who has promised to give you a way out of every temptation. And so I think knowing like, man, you don't have to be discouraged by it, but don't give in to the lie that that defines your identity as well. Um, as if your temptations means that you haven't been set free from a thing. It's like, nah, being in Christ means that you have the power to flee. Like God never said that he'll just eradicate your temptations. I mean, you're human. That'd be gone in, in heaven. But right now on earth, he has given us power to turn. And so in our turning, there's joy, you know. I'm sure you wished that she just carried on and I kept quiet. All right, last principle. What worldview does LGBT come from? What we need to understand is that LGBT is not just a personal choice. It's not just a sexual preference. It's not just my feelings and my desires. No, it comes from a particular worldview. Its roots are secular, and its roots are opposed to a biblical worldview that we've been talking about from Jesus and from Genesis. So let me try and unpack that uh, just a little bit so that you understand where it's coming from. Now, some of this we looked at uh, last week when we looked at abortion, but let me remind you. A great Christian thinker and writer of the last century was a man called Francis Schaeffer, and he looked at the secular world and secular philosophy, and he predicted, he was actually looking ahead, and he said what's going to happen in secular thinking is that there will be a dualism. And he talked about an upper story and a lower story. And so what has happened, and he's been quite right, is that our world has divided its thinking has divided our world into a lower story called facts and an upper story called values. And according to our secular world, the facts are objective, they are, they are unchangeable. Uh, it's things like science, like maths, like chemistry, like gravity. But values are subjective, they are personal, and they are relative. And it has to do with your beliefs, your morals, your ethics, and so on. Uh, 
So there you have the double story of our secular worldview. We saw last week how that affected abortion. And if you weren't here, you may want to listen to that on the website. What the abortion secular thinkers have done is they've taken the same paradigm, the same template, and they've said you can divide a human being into two portions, the body at the bottom and the person at the top. And the body is not necessarily the person. The body is the fetus. The body is scientific. You can see it, test it, measure it. Um, but the body is not a person. The person, to become a person, you have to meet certain requirements. You have to earn the right to become a person. So if you have some disability, some mental or physical disability in the womb, you can be done away with because you're not a person yet. You're only a body. So this same kind of thinking, this dichotomy, this dualism, has been applied to abortion. We as Christians, of course, say that is not so. We say that life is holistic, that there is some, something called truth, with a capital T, both in the area of facts and values. We would argue that, that, that we become persons, not when we start breathing, no, we become persons at conception. Now the same thinking is applied to the whole LGBT area. The same thinking, the same dualism. And once again, on the bottom floor you have the body, and on the top floor you have gender. So the same thinking has been applied to the whole LGBT um, area of discussion. The body is just raw material, it has no intrinsic identity or purpose. It's just matter. Gender is what you choose. That has to do with your feelings, with your desires. So there's no, there's no connection between your gender and your body. Because your body isn't important. Your body is just matter. It's just material. It's just atoms. The gender is what you choose. So you can choose to be male, you can choose to be female, you can choose to be anything. It's fluid. You are what you feel. So when we talk about LGBT, we're not just talking about sexual preference. We're not just talking about what you want to do. We're talking about a certain worldview, which we need to understand. And there may be some people here this morning who have that worldview. You have a right to your worldview. But I also have a right to disagree with it. But that's where it's coming from. Let me give you some of the history behind that. I know um, it gets a bit technical, but it's important that we understand it. Some of the, the, the originator really was Plato. Plato lived 400 BC, and uh, Plato had a dualism. The body was evil, was bad, was irrelevant. The soul, the mind, was good. And uh, that was the real you. Um, you had René Descartes, a French philosopher in the 1600s, actually the founder of modern philosophy. And he took up Platonism. He called the body a machine and a robot. You sometimes see that in movies even. It's like a wind-up clock or a wind-up toy. And actually, the mind is the real you. It was Descartes who said, I think, therefore I am, which means... 
My meaning, my identity, comes from my mind. So from that, you have the idea that, that the body is not the true self. It's a ghost in a machine. The last one is Nietzsche, the godfather of Hitler. Not really. He said, facts do not exist, only interpretations. So, so, so the irony of this dualism is that it's actually anti-body. It actually has a low view of the body. It says that the body is disassociated from my person. Why should my body, which is just a robot, just a machine, just matter, why should that influence my moral choices, my sexual choices? So there's this dichotomy, this divorce between the mind and the body, the body and the soul, the body and the emotions. And any, any divorce, as many of you know, causes enormous pain. You can't divorce the body from the mind or the soul. And this divorce is not caused by God. No, it comes from Plato. It comes from Descartes. It comes from Immanuel Kant. It comes from Nietzsche. It comes from CNN. It comes from BBC. It comes from the United Nations. It comes from Netflix. It comes from MTV. The things your children are watching. You see, if my body is irrelevant to my gender, if there's no connection between my body and my gender identity, it means I am not my body. It is anti-body. That kind of thinking says, I can change my gender any day, every day. I checked last night on Facebook. There are 71 gender options. Did you know that? 71 gender options. I won't read them all. Bi-gender, polygender, pan-gender, gender-neutral, gender-fluid, gender-queer, intersex, non-binary, trans-male, trans-female. The mother of a 12-year-old told, told reporters, some days Annie is a girl, some days Annie is a boy, and some days she is both. When they went to buy her graduation outfit, they purchased both a dress and a suit because they were not sure whether she'd be a boy or a girl that evening. Now, what grieves me as a pastor is that you've created a civil war inside of you. There's a war between your body and your mind. I'm not my body. I hate my body. There's civil war. There's warfare. And in the end, when the thrill of this so-called freedom wears off, we'll be left with an existential agony and pain because you actually don't know who you are when you've made that divorce. And so we in the church need to prepare ourselves for a whole deluge of young people who won't know who they are and will need our love so that they can find wholeness and healing. Let me close. Four points. Number one. Calvin said, our hearts are idle factories. So we're all desperately looking for something to fulfill us, to satisfy us, to make us happy. And sadly, we normally look in the wrong place. We look at created things or creatures. If only I was married. If only I wasn't married. 
If only I had children, if only I had sex, if only I had more money, if only I had more power. My dear friends, those are cracked jars. The water always runs out. They will satisfy you up to a point, and then they will leave you desperately, lonely, empty. Augustine from Algeria. Remember Augustine. He said that great quote, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. God is enough. Number two, you don't have to clean up your act before coming to Jesus. Just come. You don't have to become straight before you come to Jesus. Just come as you are. That's who Jesus is. He says, come as you are. Don't think you must first clean up your act. In fact, you're not able to. Just come. And Jesus says, I'm enough. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Imagine that rest for your soul, for your struggling for your desires, for your yearning, for your pain, for your loneliness, for your grief. And I will give you rest. We read from 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Neither adulterers nor homosexuals will inherit the kingdom of God. But, verse 11, that is what you were. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. His grace. If someone knocked at my door, and it's happened, and said, Martin, I'm a practicing homosexual, what does the church say? You know what I'll do? I'll say, please come inside. Come and have a seat. Helen, where are you? Let's have some tea, coffee. Um, who are you? Where are you from? What are you doing? Um... Why don't we meet every week and um, work through Mark's gospel? And we take a portion every week and look at Jesus. And so we meet week after week and look at Jesus. Leave the question. My prayer is that he or she will fall in love with Jesus. And then later on we may say, oh yes, wait a minute, we, there was that question, wasn't there? But they've fallen in love with Jesus. Who says, come to me as you are. And I will give you rest. Let's pray. Let's spend a few moments of quiet as we reflect on God's word. Father, these are heavy things. They are personal things. And so we do pray that you will help us by your Spirit to understand them. But above all, Lord, we pray that we will come to Jesus who loves us more than we can ever, ever imagine. The Jesus who will take us as we are. Father, we thank you for your 
extraordinary love and grace for broken people like us. Will you draw us to yourself? And we pray this for Christ's sake. Amen.